The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. It's a beautiful day out there. It's a beautiful day in here. I want to thank On The Way for uh, leading us in worship this morning, particularly those songs, because they do tie to the message this morning. I want to continue with the semester series. Uh, I just have uh, one or two more chapel times with you before the end of the year. And uh, this morning I would like to uh, deal with the fourth and final of the cardinal virtues, and then we'll wrap it all up next time. You know, we've been talking this semester about the habit of virtue. Uh, We've been focusing on these cardinal virtues, which come to us from the Greeks, but are uh, profoundly evident in the Bible. They are not a Greek idea. It is not uh, ideas put forth by Greek philosophy. These are eternal truths that we find in God's Word, and we find in the examples of God's servants in His Word, And we've been talking about this all semester because of the importance of virtue, the importance of strength of character, and we talked about the fact that it's related to our mission, with the final line of which reads that we want you to be men and women of character. We also talked about it in terms of it being a habit, that virtues are formed habitually. We practice these things and they become part of who we are. We've been talking, and it will matter today all along about this notion of habits, that good habits are hard to form and easy to break. Bad habits are easy to form and hard to break. There's something in our nature that is broken as a result of sin that makes it difficult for us to form good habits and keep them and makes it difficult for us to avoid bad habits and break them once they're part of our practice. So we talked about the importance of the habit of virtue, of practicing these things. They're not just concepts and ideas and philosophies. They're actually things that are supposed to be lived out in our lives on a daily basis. We talked about the three leading up to this, wisdom and temperance and justice. And today, we're going to deal with courage. We're going to look at chapter one of the book of Joshua. I would invite you to turn there and hold that uh, until we get to it. But I would say, uh, buckle up, because I think this one matters a great deal. C.S. Lewis said that it is virtually impossible to practice the other virtues of wisdom, temperance, and justice without the virtue of fortitude or courage. It is virtually impossible to practice the virtues of wisdom, temperance, and justice without the virtue of fortitude or courage. This one matters a great deal. It matters in our experience in this world. Historically, it matters in the pages of the Bible. It matters in terms of our faith and the way we live it out. So today I do want to deal with courage or fortitude, depending on the word you choose, as a virtue, a character quality, a strength, not just an action that we do on a dare. Some years ago, I uh, went uh, skydiving with Ascend, and people said, well, that was a very brave thing to do. It was maybe, maybe it was a foolish thing to do, The picture's really cool, but uh, it's a terrifying experience to be falling at that rate from that height. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about doing crazy things on a dare. We're talking about a character quality. We're talking about a strength of character, not just an action that we do on a dare, not just an idea that we write down on a piece of paper, but something that comes from within, something that marks the way we live our lives. So what are we talking about? Let me take just a few minutes before we go to the book of Joshua to talk about what we mean when we talk about the virtue of fortitude or courage. We're not just talking about acts of bravery. We're not talking about machismo or bravado. We're not talking about the kinds of things that might stand out in your mind when you think of courage and people doing really, really dangerous things. There's much, much more to it than that. 
It certainly has the idea of going into difficult things and difficult places and difficult circumstances and doing hard things. It certainly has that idea of taking risk to do something hard. But it also has the idea of sticking it out when things get difficult. As C.S. Lewis calls it in his writing on the virtues, guts, sticking it out. It isn't just going into danger and facing it with courage. It also means sticking it out, showing guts and resolve and fortitude when things get hard. C.S. Lewis wrote a great deal on this, but remember, C.S. Lewis is writing as a member of that generation that watched the dark shadow of fascism spread across the world. That generation, that World War II generation, wasn't just dealing with a threat far away. It was dealing with a threat that was, that was real and that the people who lived it were, were in fear that civilization was coming to a close, that the forces of evil and oppression and genocide and hatred had the might, the violent force behind it to destroy freedom and liberty all over the world. It was a dark hour in the course of human history, unlike some that we've seen at any time in the course of human history. And Lewis is writing during that time. And as an Englishman, he's actually writing from this idea of the virtue of fortitude or courage because he knew what it would take for men and women to face danger and risk going into battle against the forces of of evil and against fascism and Nazism, but also the fortitude that was required from the people of England to not run in fear or cower, to stick it out in the midst of the blitz when their city was being bombed on a daily basis. When Lewis is writing about fortitude and drawing drawing lines between that kind of fortitude and the Christian faith. He's writing to a people that were facing danger on a daily basis and facing the threat of the demise of freedom and liberty in the world. The end of civilization is what they were afraid of. We see these pictures of calling for courage and fortitude all over the place. We see it in our literature, Henry V's Crispin Day speech. We see it in our own region, just north of here. George Washington crossed the Delaware River to defeat the British, an icy, frozen Delaware River, when every one of his war council members said it is folly to do it. If we do it and we fail, the war is lost. Washington said, if we do not do it, the war is lost. The courage that was required of Washington, not just to cross the Delaware and to go into battle in winter conditions and cross the river, but to go against his counselors to say this is what must be done, is a strength of character, a quality of courage and fortitude that isn't just doing some brave act. It's actually sticking it out in the midst of something hard when the cause looked like it was lost. It's the kind of character and strength that was exhibited by Joshua Chamberlain, a hero of mine at Gettysburg, who orders a downhill bayonet charge when the ammunition has run out. It isn't just doing something on a dare. It's realizing that something hard must be done, and we cannot quit the field. We have to hold our position. We have to advance. It's the picture of what transpired at D-Day when those men stormed the beaches in a hail of gunfire at Normandy, to begin the invasion of Europe and turn back the tide of Nazism. It's what Golda Meir exhibited as the Prime Minister of Israel when she held back a preemptive strike against Syria prior to the Yom Kippur War, when everybody said, strike, strike now. It took courage to not fight for Golda Meir. It's the kind of courage that was exhibited by Rosa Parks when she said no. Ronald Reagan, when American malaise is at an all-time high, turned to communism and said, tear down this wall. That kind of courage to do hard things and stick it out in difficult circumstances 
is very evident in our history. Both kinds. The courage to do something difficult and to wade in to something risky and to hold fast when everything is crumbling around you. It isn't just in history, though. We see it in our own personal lives. You know people who have exhibited that kind of fortitude and courage when adversity upon adversity piles up in their lives, when risky things they face on a daily basis, when the world starts to crumble, and yet they seem to hold. Historically speaking, there was a time in the English language where we referred to our legs as strong men. And there's lots of literary examples where people, when things got hard, their strong men held. They did not buckle. They did not quit. They did not turn and run. They stuck it out. And we know people like that in our personal lives. It's not just the grand historical figures, the generals and the sports figures and the activists and the politicians. It's in our personal lives, people who hold on and stand firm in the midst of adversity and tragedy and death and threat and terror. The Bible is full of these stories. Samson, Deborah, Ruth, David, Paul and Peter in the New Testament, Stephen looking at the crowd that was about to stone him to death. There are all kinds of pictures of courage, profiles in courage, if you will, in the Bible. But for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, there was a relationship between courage and faith that we cannot miss. You know, it's very tempting to say, well, some people are just wired to be more courageous than others. Some of you may feel like, you know, I've got friends that are just wired to be fearless, and I'm just a fearful person. That would be fine if we were talking about courage and fortitude from a secular perspective or a humanistic perspective, but we're talking about a biblical perspective. And for us as followers of Jesus Christ, courage and fortitude are to mark us not in spite of our faith, but because of our faith. It isn't just because we're wired to be less fearless than someone else. There's a line that must be drawn between our faith and courage. There must be the kind of people who say, if God is for us, who can be against us? There's a historical figure who's on the wrong side of many issues in history, including the Civil War. But Stonewall Jackson, who was a very religious general and a little bit mad, used to get a little bit too close to the fighting and was blown off his horse on numerous occasions. And his aides would say, General Jackson, why don't you stay back from the fight? And his response was this, my theology constrains me, for I know that I could be found dead in my bed tomorrow as soon as on the battlefield if the Lord Jesus calls me home. Jackson may have been on the wrong side of history, but that's pretty good theology. What are we afraid of? If God is for us, who can be against us? There is a relationship between faith and courage that we cannot miss, but we also have to be careful that we don't see them as synonyms. We can't look at someone who's courageous and say, that's faith. We can't replace our faith with courage or our courage with faith. They are in a relationship with one another. They're not synonyms. They're tied together. And we see this in the life of Daniel, who says, no, I will not eat that meat. No, I will not bow down. I will continue to open my window and pray, even though the law says no. It's David who doesn't just stare down lions and tigers and bears, but faces the giant, the Philistine, and doesn't say, I can take you. He says, I come before you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. It's the picture of Joshua in chapter 1. Not just to do hard things, but to stick it out. This passage is very familiar. You know it. You know that in this passage of Joshua chapter 1, the Lord tells Joshua to be strong and courageous multiple times multiple times. Here in chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, the Lord says to Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, 
For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's a familiar passage. I've read it hundreds and hundreds of times. And this is what strikes me every time. I always have this vision in my mind that Joshua is a stalwart, brave character. He's not afraid of anything. He takes the mantle of Moses, and he's going to lead these people on. But if he was so brave, and he was so fearless, and there was no chance that he was going to falter because he was hardwired for this task, God would not have needed to remind him three times to be strong and courageous. Joshua is a human man, overwhelmed, perhaps, by the circumstances in front of him. God bucks him up, not by saying, you can do it, but he says, be strong and courageous. The task in front of you will require a great deal of it. But I am with you. My word is with you. I will never leave you. He is fortifying Joshua with a fortitude that is tied to faith in the living God. And he says to Joshua, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the risk, you go in. And no matter how hard it gets, and no matter how much they grumble, and no matter how much they pursue idols, you don't waver. You hold to my word. You keep your eyes on me. And you remember, I am the one who is with you always. The living God is with you, Joshua. Do not falter. Do not be afraid. Do not give in to weakness and fear. This is the message that the Lord gives Joshua at the beginning of his leadership. where He basically says, I will do the following. Now you act accordingly. And that's the biblical idea of virtue and the biblical idea of courage as a virtue. Whether it's in our leadership responsibilities that some of you have, or your service obligations, or your personal lives, or your personal relationships, or your academic work, you need to exhibit the kind of virtue that is built upon your faith in the living God and the Lord Jesus Christ. As Lewis said, all the other virtues will require this one at some point. It is very difficult to follow the words of the Apostle Paul who says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, because the world around you is given to foolishness. It takes courage to keep doing the wise thing when everybody around you wants to do the foolish one. To go to the right length of something and no further in temperance and moderation will not just require wisdom to know what that looks like and a willingness to temper your behavior, but courage to do it when everyone else around you and the world around you says, go to excess, too much is never enough. And when the world is doing things, when you look at the injustice around you, it is impossible for you to want to do something about it. It's impossible for you to want to treat the person in front of you justly and fairly without the courage to know someone's going to ridicule you for it, for it at the very least and kill you for it at the very worst. They all take courage. And for us as believers, they're to be rooted in our faith. We as Christians should be the most fearless people on the earth. What are we afraid of? Let the terrorists tear us from limb to limb. We serve the living God. What are we afraid of? Economic collapse? God is our provider. From him comes every good and perfect gift. What are we afraid of? Ridicule and scorn, persecution? Absent from the body is present with the Lord. 
We have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Courage should mark every step of the Christian's life. Now, here's the thing. It's not always that easy, is it? Because the Lord had to tell Joshua, the great man of the faith, to be strong and courageous. So there must be something to it. So what happens? What does the lack of this kind of courage and fortitude look like? Let me tell you this. It isn't running away with our tail between our legs in every instance. It isn't just shrinking back, although that is when you see it in your life. I'm just going to shrink back. I'm going to quit. I'm going to hold myself up in this place. I'm going to cover my head and crouch in the foxhole and not go anywhere near the line of fire. But I'll tell you, there are other marks of fearfulness and lack of courage and apathy and indifference. They are it. It is not just cowering in fear. It's choosing not to engage and looking aloof and cool and hip and indifferent and apathetic and thinking that you're hiding your fear. When I look at people who are apathetic and indifferent and aloof, I see people crippled by fear. And when I see that in believers, it's extremely disappointing. We serve the living God. We're no longer slaves to fear. We've been set free. We are apathetic and indifferent and aloof because we're afraid that to follow hard after the Lord will have to give something up or face something down. But God tells his servants throughout the pages of the Bible, be strong and courageous. I am with you. I've given you my word and I will never leave you or forsake you. We of all people should be willing to risk, to wade in, to hold fast. This is the picture of Jesus himself. He's not afraid to go to the cross like a lamb he was led to the slaughter. He knows what the outcome is. He's not afraid of what he faces because he believes his father. But what are we afraid of? We're afraid of pain. Look, mark the words of Jesus well. They will hate you for my namesake. We are in a culture where I'm afraid that Christians, in an attempt to take some of the harsh, discompassionate, unloving edge off of our faith, are convinced that it is our job to be winsome and make them like us. But Jesus said, if you give them the love that is from me, if you tell them this good news, if you walk in my name, they will hate you for it. We love them anyway. We give it to them anyway. We preach it anyway. We show compassion as followers of Jesus Christ even when it's rejected. This is the picture of the kind of courage that we're called to in living the New Testament faith. We are to be those kinds of people. Jesus wants that from us. What are we afraid of? If we want to follow Jesus and wade in, mark it well, you will get bruised shins and black eyes. My dad used to have a saying when I was a kid. He used to say, don't pick a fight and say no hitting. It's a great line. We want to do it all the time. We want to pick a fight and say no hitting. It doesn't really work that way. How do you know that when you fall down, you won't die from falling down? You have to fall down and get back up. We're afraid of all kinds of things. We think, if I do that and it goes wrong, I'll never recover. Actually, that's not true. We serve a risen Savior whom death could not defeat. The truth is that what we need to do is embrace that kind of living that says we will go and we will hold because we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We think about this too quickly. We say, well, there are brave people and there are not so brave people. There are courageous people and people who are not so courageous. And that is true. We have lots of examples around us in history. Soldiers and generals and athletes. Heroic figures. 
But what I'm talking about today is not a game. I actually heard this the other day. Someone was, I, I was watching a little thing on video gaming, which is now there's a lot of new research coming out. And they were interviewing these two people, and they were playing a game. In the background, they were playing a game. And the one guy turns to the other guy and says, that was incredible. You're so brave. And I'm thinking, it's a video game. How brave is it to take on those three guys? You're outnumbered. They're going to kill you. It's a game, right? That's not the kind of courage we're talking about, right? People say, well, that football player is so brave and so courageous. He goes up for the catch. Yeah, but when his wife comes home and says she has cancer, does he buckle? It's a, this is not a game. This is not a movie. This isn't Mel Gibson taking on the British. This is real life. And the way that we develop that courage is really key to this entire series. The practice of it, rooted in our faith. You cannot become courage, courageous in this way. You cannot become a person of fortitude if you fear taking chances. I tell my class this all the time when we start in psychology about learning. There's nothing in life that you learned. Did you learn it by getting it right the first time? So why are we so afraid of failure? In failure, we actually learn, and in failure, we develop perseverance. In failure, we develop courage. In failure, we learn this is not the end of the world. This is what we know. And then we marry that kind of practicing things that, that's, that, that builds in us that kind of courage and fortitude, this idea that it's rooted in our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus did this for his disciples. They walked with him for those years leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection. They lived outdoors. They faced down persecution. They fled for their lives. They got mocked and scorned. They got run out. They got questioned. They went hungry. They were cold. They were out of doors all the time. Their feet were probably sore. They probably smelled. Their life was anything but a life of comfort and ease. They were relieved to get to town and have Mary and Martha dote on them. And Jesus walked with them in that period of time. And through the practice of being in those kinds of settings, they developed an accustomed nature to being uncomfortable and to taking risk. But Jesus was still concerned about them when he departed because he knew that the practice of courage and fortitude would not be enough. He needed to embolden them with the promise. And so prior to his departure, to his ascension, he turns and gives them the great commission to go and preach the word and make disciples in a world that will not love you for it. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We practice it to develop those muscles of courage and fortitude, but it must be married to our faith and our belief that the promise of God to Joshua is the promise of Jesus to us. I am with you always, in every circumstance, at every time, even to the end of it all. And if that is true, then Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, should be the most fearless people on earth. We should have the most courage and fortitude. Now here's what I want to say. Some of you... This is easy because you're wired for it and your faith is strong. And it's easy to look at a brother or sister who's having trouble, who's laying in the foxhole afraid or has become apathetic and indifferent and aloof and say, they're fearful. This is what we do when we're afraid. We remind ourselves with passages like Dr. Taves just read. We preach the gospel to ourselves like the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe, you know, you convince yourself. There's no reason to fear. There's no reason to fear. You do that for yourself. That's how you get through it. You remind yourself of the truth of God's words. He's with me always. He's with me always. He's with me always. I'll bet you Joshua reminded himself over and over again about these words from the Lord. Only be strong and courageous for I'm with you always. When we're faltering, that's what we say. But when we look at a brother or sister who's struggling with this issue of virtue 
this, this issue of courage and fortitude, we don't sit and pass judgment. We put our arm around them and say, do not be afraid. We will go together. That's what Jesus wanted for the disciples, and that's what he wants for us. That together, we would remind one another of this truth. Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. Go. Stick it out. We have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and grace to us. We ask that you would make us people of your book, that you would give us the kind of faith to believe the promises of your word, that we would be receiving from you the kind of grace that would make us strong and courageous in the face of adversity and hardship. We pray, Father, that if we're given to fear, that you might do a work in us to remind us, as your word does, that perfect love casts out all fear. We pray, Father, that you would make us mindful of all the gifts that are ours in Jesus Christ, all the blessings that we enjoy. Embolden us with our faith, not in spite of it. Father, we pray that you would make us faithful servants of yours who want to practice courage and fortitude. But keep us always believing that you are the living God who cares for us and provides for us and is with us even to the end. Father, for those of us that are given to fear, give us what is required to overcome. For those of us who have given in to apathy and indifference, who have found ourselves aloof, we pray that your spirit would be at work to call us back to you, that we might realize there is nothing to fear and no reason not to follow. For you are our God and we are your people. Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to shoulder burdens together, to encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds and Christian virtue. Even this virtue of fortitude, we pray. In the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen. Have a great weekend.